everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Acts of Pod. Today, um, a special guest, Katie Mull from Zeba Vans. Katie, great to uh, great to have you on. Great to have you on the pod. Thanks for joining. Thanks. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Well, I'm doing a little uh, circuit here with risk managers, and I was a risk manager myself for about eight years before joining the dark side. But I want to get a little insight into people's backgrounds and how they how they get to where they are and how they landed in the insurance space. And I thought I'd start with you. And Katie and I have known each other for a, for a while now. We've done some work together and she's got an interesting story. So I thought it'd be, it'd be fun to share it. Katie, thanks for doing that. But uh, yeah, why don't you give us a little background? Just where'd you grow up? Uh, how'd you get into the legal space? I know you're, you're an attorney. And uh, how'd you get into insurance? So I was born and raised in a small town in Connecticut. And when I was 16, decided I wanted to try something completely different. I was uh, an emancipated minor and I moved clear across the country to San Francisco where I finished high school. I finished my last year of high school. I had an aunt and uncle who let me live with them for that year and finished high school and then started community college because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I am first generation college student, so had no idea what I was doing. And it just made the most sense to go to community college. So I did that for two years and then went to UC Santa Cruz, which was amazing. Go slugs. I majored in legal studies and minored in sociology and had a good time doing it. And when I graduated, I needed a job and farmers insurance was hiring. And so I started with farmers insurance. That was the start of my insurance career and it hasn't stopped. I um, started there. I started handling like small bodily injury claims from car accidents. And it grew until I was handling litigation and large loss in Southern California. And in that time, I also decided I needed some more education. I wasn't sure if it was a master's or a law degree. So I decided to go with law degree. And I went to school part-time at night in San Diego while I worked full-time for farmers during the day. That's sort of like how my insurance career blossomed, insurance and legal. There's a lot to dig into here. I need to start just because it's pretty interesting and I didn't know this about you, but emancipated minor. Now we don't need to get into all the details there, but how did that come up and how did you decide I'm 16, I'm going to do this and I'm going to move across the country? The way I saw things when I was 16 was there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me where I was. And if I had stayed, I was afraid of what my life was going to become. So my mom agreed to it. She signed the paperwork and the deal was as long as I didn't get married that I could, that she would sign the paperwork and I would move in with my aunt and uncle, finish my senior year. And, you know, I promised her I was going to go to college and I did, but that's sort of how that came about. I was just afraid if I stayed there, I was going to end up in a situation that wasn't what I wanted my life to be. So <laughs> pretty, it's pretty brave, bold move. Uh, I understand you have some family, you have some family over there though. Well, what was it like, you know, going completely across the country into a very, I assume very different sort of environment being in San Francisco than, than Connecticut. I mean, how, how did that go for you? It was a learning opportunity for sure, but even reflecting on it now, it was a good period of growth for me because I was exposed to a lot of diversity that I didn't have where I was growing up. And so it was a good period of growth for me that last year of high school. And were you in the city or were you kind of in suburban San Francisco or where were you? Suburban. We were in Hayward, California. Okay. Is that like uh, Marin County? Where is that? No, it's East no? Bay. <laughs> okay, got it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of 
time in San Francisco, and I could imagine that that would be quite the um, change disparity from living on the East Coast. Yeah. So then fast forwarding a little bit, you go to college. How did the farmer's opportunity come up? I had finished at UC Santa Cruz and moved back up to the Bay Area in San Leandro. And I was working part-time as a bartender and they were hiring. They were hiring entry-level injury adjusters. And so I applied and got hired. Did you have any, I don't know what your studies were, your undergraduate studies, but did you have any interest in like legal crime, you know, anything in that area at that point? Or was it just very opportunistic? It was opportunistic, but it worked out because I didn't realize how much they kind they sort of go hand in hand. When you're an injury adjuster, you do a little bit of everything. You do some investigative work because you got to get police reports and find out what happened. And you get to read medical records and find out what happened and learn what that that process is about. So you get to do a, a little bit of everything, which I enjoyed. Yeah, and actually, it's kind of interesting because we, we're very similar in that vein. I was you know working as an intern for a ladder manufacturer and didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. But kind of the opportunity came up and I was doing the same thing, you know, going across the country and investigating accidents and getting medical records from people, getting surprise pictures from, <laughs> you know, claimants with brutal, you know, with injuries that you wouldn't want to open up in a manila folder that you happen mm-hmm. to see, uh, close it quick. Ah. But yeah, that's, uh, so you obviously liked it. You liked the insurance business enough to keep going. Yep. In 2012, which I'd been with farmers for six years, that's when I decided to go to law school and I moved down to San Diego and they were amazing. They let me continue to work and still go to school at night and, you know, have some semblance of sanity. So I, I did that, graduated, and then I'm like, okay, what's my next opportunity? And I ended up applying to and getting hired with a small Midwest insurance carrier that I hadn't heard of called State Auto. And they hired me on as the litigation and large loss claims manager. So that was a super cool time. I got to learn a lot build a team up because they didn't really have a ton of structure around it. So I got to put some structure around it and some structure around how that team operates and handle all the litigation and large loss, which in my opinion is some of the most interesting cases that cross your desk. So that was a time. Did you have during that time with state auto, did you have a territory that you were working in or was it kind of across, across the country? Yep. So I went from just California to all 50 States. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your involvement from, you know, kind of an oversight perspective with, you know, any litigation that, you know, you were, you were handling, were you, were you going to mediations and trials and things like that? Or was it kind of uh, from a distance? I wasn't, my team would. So if it was their case that they were handling and there was a mediation or a trial that we needed personal attendance, they would go to it. Okay. And I assume that they, did they hire outside counsel to actually try cases or were you was your team doing the the trial work we had house counsel and then for certain cases we had outside counsel okay and were these most with state state auto i assume these were mostly auto claims and homeowners we handled homeowners as well okay i can think of you know just being in that position for a long time you start thinking of these claims that you're working on and investigating as kind of your own after a while are there any without naming names obviously are the only any that stick out in your in your head in terms of something that you handled during that period of time you know i'll start i you know i have two stories but one that sticks out of my head the most 
give you some time to think about it. We, you know, we it was a ladder company, so it was all ladder accidents. That wasn't um, it wasn't too interesting in terms of the diversity, but there was obviously a lot of serious accidents. But once in a while, you'd run into kind of a funny story that you could tell and retell. And so the one that I often go back to is uh, we're in Denver, Colorado, investigating an accident. And uh, to leave out names, I'll call this gentleman MacGyver, and you'll find out why. I don't know if you were a fan of the MacGyver show, but I always was. But this guy was, he had a winch installed in the attic of his garage. And the idea was using the winch, you know, it's a device to pull. You can you can pull things up so it helps you lift. You know, I've never seen one in, installed in an attic before, but he had one installed in his attic. And he was on the ladder at the time of the accident, and he had this winch wrapped around a table saw, you know, big, huge table saw that he's trying to get up into the rafters. And so he turns on the winch and starts cranking it up, and somehow probably pretty foreseeably, this winch tip starts tipping and falls out of uh, the, the table saw falls out of the winch. And now there's just a big loop where the winch used to be. And uh, the claimant here, MacGyver, somehow this causes him to fall and his leg goes through a loop that was previously wrapped around the winch and it's, it cinches and now he's got, he's hanging upside down by the winch from the ceiling of his garage. And the ladder is, you know, tipped over over here. He's hanging there for three hours. And eventually he decides he's going to untie his shoe, unlace it, use the shoe as a lasso to get the, the ladder back pulls the ladder in, sets the ladder back up, climbs back up the ladder after three hours and relieves himself of this issue after incurring nerve damage to his leg from hanging upside down for three hours. Obviously, it was the ladder that saved him, but he made a claim that the ladder had failed. But anyways, we had this all on video, you know, of him reenacting this whole thing. And it was clear that he just, this was a bulky sort of past that shouldn't have been handled this way. Uh, but it's stuff like that that I always, like, I'll never forget handling some of those stories. I don't know if you were that close to some of these claims or not, but it's always fun to have these kind of stories that you can go back into your head and relive. I had a dog bite claim that it, uh, on initial presentation, I mean, it was a gnarly dog bite. And she, you know, gave her statement and she was just hanging at our insurance house and the dog attacked her out of nowhere. Well, there was a couple other people there, and as we were doing the investigation, found that that's not actually at all how it happened. This woman was dating our insured and had gone to his house and saw that another woman was there that he had cheated on her with. So she kicked in the door and ran after our insured, and our insured's dog came and bit her oh, to wow. our insured. So we ended up settling that for a lot less than what we thought initially. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, dog, bite, dog bites are always variable, volatile, depending yeah. on what's going on. Okay, well, so you, you were at State Auto. How long were you there? About two and a half years. Okay, and then what was, what was next for you in your career progression? I um, got hired on as a claims advocacy manager for Lyft. So okay. handling 
commercial accidents. Okay. What year was that? 2019. Okay. So pretty, I mean, kind of right share started in probably 13, 14. So you're probably, you're pretty, uh, it was a pretty mature company by that point. Yes. So they had, uh, most of their processes were already in place and it was just more fine tuning and risk mitigation. That was my first real exposure to risk mitigation. Like how can we better vet drivers and passengers and how can we mitigate exposure and stuff like that. So that was my first taste of that. I remember being at a RIMS conference in DC, probably 2014, 15. And uh, the uh, risk manager from Lyft was there speaking out at that time. And that was kind of before I got, you know, this was early in shared economy stuff. And it was before I got too involved with much of it. But I, I actually remember that being kind of an inspirational inflection moment for me in my broker career, because it was, and I think that encounter made me want to start focusing on it more and more. Uh, but I think her name was like Samson, last name Samson or something. But anyways, it was interesting to hear her talk about it because that group in Lyft and Uber in that, in that point of time kind of were pioneers in putting insurance policies that didn't exist in the ether, putting them together, shared economy policies weren't, weren't available. You know, there were commercial auto policies and there was no way to extend coverage to, you know, drivers at that point and, and give coverage for, you know, it's not, it's not your traditional hired and non-owned policy because it's, you're talking about a, essentially a fleet that you have to insure. So was it kind of interesting being on that, I don't want to call it startup, but kind of early on pioneer, pioneering space and in, in rideshare? Yeah. And when we started, we had one captive insurance company. And by the time I left, we had five or six because it was in the early days, very few people wanted to even touch the risk. And as we grew and as the business itself grew between Uber and Lyft and then, you know, all these other companies that are popping up, other insurance companies sort of wanted a piece of the pie. And so we were able to diversify our risk with different carriers. Right. I've I've enjoyed it since, but kind of being involved in the manuscripting process of these policies has always been kind of interesting. And I think it's just going to, with AI and everything that's continually kind of in the headlines right now, you know, it just gives more and more opportunity for more insurance and financial products to go alongside these new and upcoming shared economy platforms. So it's always been uh, very fascinating to me of this kind of creation, the side-by-side creation of having to keep pace with the platform, with the insurance product, where obviously insurance is a very archaic mm-hmm. industry in general. It's obviously moving a lot faster than it has in years past now, but having to keep pace with the tech industry is, it's kind of a fun space to be in. Even if insurance is not Lyft's main business, it's still a very important piece of their business and probably one of their biggest spends yeah. uh, outside of payroll is probably insurance would be my guess. Yeah. Well, and then it, it brings me to my position now and how we met was trying to find a niche policy that we can offer competitively for our customers working for Ziba. So me now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, you know, everything's got this great little package and story that it goes along with it. It's, it's just fun to kind of, go back to memory lane and see how all of this kind of stacks up to get you where you are now. And it's it's always fun to hear that story. 
So I've I've known Avon and team for a while. How did you get introduced to the, the Ziba, your current company? And what maybe give a little background on what it is. So I had been with an after Lyft. I had joined another tech startup and I was with them for a very short period of time and I was impacted by the tech layoffs. So I was job hunting and Ziba came across my desk and they were looking for an insurance and risk manager. And I'm like, this is my area and um, applied. And, you know, I had a chance to speak with Kayvon and Jamil, who's my manager, and they hired me pretty quickly. And it's an amazing group of people to work with. Like, just we were very much a team. It's never like this isn't my job or I'm not going to do this. Everyone's like all in. Let's figure this problem out and move right. things forward. And so it's been a very fun and refreshing environment. And especially like I did work for Lyft and Lyft is a tech startup, but they are a they had, as I mentioned previously, a lot of their stuff has already been put in place and was working as a well-oiled machine. Well, this this company is an opportunity to, like we're building things from the ground up. And so it's a lot of fun getting in at the ground yeah, level yeah. so we can really build something amazing. Yeah, I think that that is the fun part of being at a startup. And it's fun to be the one that's kind of paving and whose ideas are being used and things like that, as opposed to coming in after the infrastructure is in place. Explain maybe a little bit just what Ziva is and, and what you do. So we do short-term and long-term van, uh, well, commercial vehicles, um, rentals and leases. And we have everything in our fleet from Tahoe's to 15-passenger Mercedes Sprinter vans. And we mainly rent business to business. So we do a lot of Amazon DSPs and and stuff like that, but renting out for longer term. Typically, a, a standard car rentals a couple of days. We do months to years, depending on what our customers need. So yeah. we offer flexibility. And obviously, that's... You know, that's been a huge area of growth in the economy lately. You know, you look at Amazon and other delivery services overtaking, you know, the U.S. Postal Service in terms of how these packages and things are being brought to uh, brought to consumers. So, you know, you're seeing more and more Amazon vans on the road. You're seeing more delivery in general with Instagram advertising. And, you know, everybody's buying something at the palm of their hand. So uh, getting parcels to people in more efficient ways makes all the sense in the world to have this kind of uh, be a focus right now for for Ziba and and the industry in general. You've been there for a shorter amount of time, obviously, but you know, you've, you've done a lot, you know, just with, with us alone uh, since you've been there. How has, how has that kind of been learning? And I don't want to credit any, any, I don't want to say you've learned from me or anything else, but learning on the job how has that how has that been in terms of what you've seen in your past versus what you're doing now i mean it's been a lot of fun in my past positions even though i was involved with like onboarding new carriers i wasn't part of the discussions to to get them it was more like bringing them on and getting them set up with our claims expectations and their expectations and getting that communication set up and that was more my area where this is, okay, we need you need everything to be able to write the risk or to, to get to companies to write the risk and figuring out what that looks like and starting all that from the ground up. So that's been a learning experience. Yeah, it's one of those spaces where I feel like you, you even when you're in it for 20, 30 years, just, I mean, you know, like the auto space in general and now auto kind of mixing with software and hardware and how... It's an it's a very interesting juxtaposition having this model of rental that's been out there for a long time, obviously, now alongside colliding with technology and seeing how the, the two 
combined can suddenly start this you know new enterprise, new business model. It's really interesting to see how across the board all of these existing technologies now met with GPS and technology and APIs and everything, how they can come together to form a new company. So how the company, I guess, viewed that juxtaposition and you know, what are your you know the goals of the company forward facing into the future? We're always looking at what do things look like down the road and how can we, you know, come in the market competitively. Like I tell you what, EVs are really up and coming and they're going to be a huge part of the market, especially with states like California implementing a legal requirement to have EVs or, you know, sell certain EVs or stop selling gas vehicles. That's going to be a major thing coming down the road. And we're already, we've already got a bunch of EVs that we're in fleeting this year. So we can offer them to our customers and figuring out the infrastructure and the charging infrastructure. And California is a great state with that because they're, they tend to be on the cutting edge of emerging technology. So we already have a pretty great infrastructure for EVs. Um, yeah. Just, you know, driving up and down from Northern to Southern California, ever, almost everywhere you stop, they have EV charging stations. So It'll be nice to see how the rest of the country rolls out with that, but it is cool being in California with that coming. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. I was just in Arizona two weeks ago, and I rented an electric vehicle for the first time renting one, and I was worried about access to charging, but it was actually you know everywhere you go. Once you have an electric vehicle, and I haven't had one to date, although I am on the a wait list for a, a Rivian right now, and I'm really excited about it, but I haven't had one. So I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about how easy it is or not to charge, but the infrastructure, even in Arizona, was pretty good. How has that, I assume you've, you've got, you you're, as a company, have your pulse on the kind of the legislative up and comings and, and the infrastructure bills and everything like that. How is the future looking for, you know, places where you want to deploy electric vehicles? Is California going to be light years ahead for a long time, or are we seeing states catch up with that sort of mentality? I think some states are catching up. I think certain oil-heavy dependent states like Texas might take a little nudging, but I do see other states really starting, you know, like I said, I'm from back east, so Connecticut, New York, New Jersey. I lived in Pennsylvania before I moved to California most recently because I we didn't talk about my moving. I move a lot, um, yeah. but they all had pretty amazing infrastructure not as robust as California, but definitely accessible. So it'll be interesting to see how that grows and spreads across the country. Yeah, and even Texas, I mean, with Tesla having a huge facility now in Austin, I mean, you would think that that would even have some potential to ex exponentially increase their charging infrastructure there. Maybe maybe it's centered around Austin, I don't know, but dollars are green for everybody, right? So it probably it, it'll probably be only a matter of time. Uh, before that happens. Well, we're almost to the half hour mark, so we'll, won't, won't keep you too much longer here, but we're, what's next, not in terms of you individually, but in terms of, you know, Zebo, you know, how are, you know, how are you um, viewing, you know, the current economic hurdles and, and where does the business go from here besides really continuing to grow? I use that a lot, but I'm really excited to see where we grow because we're, it's a very smart, nimble team of people and we're always looking at, what does the market need? How can we adapt to the market? And what do we need to do to anticipate the, the changes in the market? Like I said, the EVs are a big one. And we're ahead, I think we're ahead of the game on that. And I'm super excited to see what happens. Yeah, no, that's great. I agree. I, I just had a post yesterday, actually, on AI and auto and I, on LinkedIn. And I feel like there's 
I mean, obviously, AI has been a huge topic of conversation lately mm-hmm. and how specifically AI might be able to take an image and analyze it. Uh, I know there's a lot of telemetry features that automobiles have right now and able to help with driver assistance and lane departure and all those different things. I guess is my final question. Are you seeing any more from just a risk mitigation standpoint, uh, being in the electric vehicle and vehicle space? Are you seeing some new telemetry options kind of coming as we see more advancements in AI? Or how is that kind of part of the job in in terms of analyzing opportunities there? Um, I hope I answer your question correctly. Uh, the way I see it is I hope that it helps the development of AI and the implementation of risk mitigation because it gives us more insight to it. Like this policy we just wrote out, they're using data and telematics and stuff like that to help write the risk. And I think previously we we didn't have any insights onto what sort of risks were being written. So insurance companies just, they ran your driver's license and your, you know, that history and wrote you a policy based on that. Well, now they can write a policy based on how you drive. How do you brake? Are you looking at your phone? Like they can really dig down into that and properly know what kind of risk they're writing. And I think it's the the growth potential is tremendous. And I hope that some of these, because there's a lot of niche insurance companies out there that are growing and they're growing rapidly. It'll be interesting to see if sort of the the giants, the AIGs and the, the Geico's and the progressives, if they follow with those and really use those telematics to properly underwrite risk. It'll be interesting to see how that happens. Yeah, it definitely. It's a super interesting space. Vehicles are getting more expensive. There's more computers. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting away from combustion engines to electric, you know, eventually autonomous. Yep. You know, and then how will that impact risk. insurance? You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, but very interesting. Katie, I really appreciate you jumping on. I don't, is this your first podcast or have you done podcasts before? My first ever. Well, I'm 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 just delighted that it was with me. So thank you very much for, for being a guest on Axapod. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.